our message today is a missions message. <laughs> You're going to have a hard time figuring that out till we get to the end, though, okay? Now, in Southeast Asia, they're predominantly Buddhist. And the Buddhists have hundreds of different idols and, and gods and goddesses, okay? Of course, the Gautama, the Buddha, is the number one they worship. Also part of Buddhism is their ancestors. They worship their dead parents, their, great, their, their dead grandparents and great-grandparents and so on, dead brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts. That's why it's so offensive to the family, to a Buddhist family, for one of their members to convert to Christianity. They say, you've turned your back on our dead relatives. You've turned your back on our dead parents, our grandparents, and all our other relatives. They're tremendously insulted and offended by that. They're disowned. They're, they're, they're disinherited even by their parents. They pay a price to trust Christ as Savior. But, but beside the Buddha, there's all of these gods and goddesses. In India, one of the brothers was asking me about um, Hinduism the other day. Hinduism has over 360 million gods and goddesses. With 1.2 or 3 billion people, that's enough for one god or goddess per family. I've asked, why do you have so many? Well, if we don't like the gods that are out there, we just create our own and, and worship that one. <laughs> Whew. Man, superstitious doesn't, <laughs> is, not, is not a fitting word. Wow, it's incredible. But they despise Christianity. Why? Only Christianity has a creator God. Wow. That puts our God, the only true and living God, head and shoulders above everything else any other one has. But now listen, these, these Buddhists, these animists, these Hindu are not the only idol worshipers. Exhibit A would be the children of Israel. Oh my, how idolatrous that we are. And we're going we're to get into that here in a moment, okay? But now in America, our gods are different. Our gods are money. Sometimes our job can be our God. We're so dedicated. Your job is what commands the greater part of your attention, your focus, your, your, what you pour yourself into. With some, it can be pleasure. My, what a pleasure-oriented society we live in. Or that pleasure could be in a form of uh, outdoor activities. Hey, I, I love hunting and fishing. We probably have hunters and fishermen here. But you're in church today. You're not out on a deer stand. You're not out on the lake. So that's not your God. You're here. You're putting God first, okay? My wife's from Alabama. Sarah Land is north of Mobile. The question is asked, what is the state religion in Alabama? Anyone ever heard the answer to that? Football. Huh? Yeah, Auburn and Alabama, Crimson Tide, have fans that will follow them coast to coast. They'll take a week off, jump in their RV, and go. Go to that game, have their tailgate parties, and wow, they live for football. Our gods come in different forms, okay? Wow. But the Israelites, think about it. The northern ten kings of Israel, the northern ten tribes, after they broke away, were the most idolatrous. They never had one single good king once they split off from Solomon's son. They were all wicked idolatrous kings, uh, worshiping the, mostly Baal, but sometimes uh, Ashtaroth and, and Chemosh and Molech. One of those gods, I forget which, was a great big iron beast with its arms stretched out. It was hollow, open in the back to throw in the firewood. His head was a smokestack. 
they would throw the wood in that thing till it turned red hot with heat. And they would put their babies in those hot irons and sacrifice them to that God. We only abort ours. What's the last count? 60 million plus? And the state of Virginia now allow them to kill the baby after it's born if the mother doesn't want to keep it. Are we any different? Were it not for the Christians, the salt of the earth, God would have already had to judge America like he did Sodom and Gomorrah. And we look at the LBQXYZ crowd that has forced their agenda on us. How perverted. That's enough for America to, to judge America like he did Sodom and Gomorrah? Why hasn't he? What's the salt but a preservative? As our grandparents salted their meats to preserve them. We're the salt that's preserving America. God's given us a reprieve, I believe, with our current president. Let's make the best of it. Amen? All right. So, so the Asians, the Buddhists, the Hindu are not the only ones that are idolatrous. That's my point, okay? Now, let's get into the Bible and, and let's go to, first of all, the burning bush. When Moses, he's been exiled from Egypt because of killing that Egyptian, trying to defend Israel with his own hand, doing it man's way instead of God's way. He goes to the burning bush and God calls him to deliver Israel and he gives him two signs to go to the children of Israel to prove that he is sent of God. Now let's pick up with that in Exodus chapter 4. In Exodus chapter 4, we're going to read uh, 29 through 31. And Moses and Aaron, uh, i got to get some good light here, uh, went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. Now take note of that. Uh, our Bible historians tell us that Israel has now grown to somewhere between 2 million, the lowest estimate, and possibly as many as 4 million people. So how many elders were there? Could have been hundreds. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But elders, plural, are there, and Moses is reporting to them, because God has sent him. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses. Remember, uh, Moses complained about having stammering lips. I can't talk. Okay, I'll give you Aaron for your mouthpiece. After this day, you, you don't see Aaron hardly getting a word in edgewise, though. All right. And, and, and asked, and he did the signs in the sight of the people. You remember the two signs? God said, Moses, throw your rod down. What's in your hand? A rod. Throw it down. Boom. And it became a serpent. Yeah. Probably a cobra. It's a common thing there. Can you imagine jumping back in fear? And God says, now take it up by the tail. Who are you talking to? <laughs> Somebody else here? <laughs> take it by the tail, Moses. <laughs> Can you see the apprehension? <laughs> about like you trying to pick up a bell-tailed lizard by the, by the tail. What's a bell-tailed lizard? South Mississippi terminology for a rattlesnake. Okay. All right. <laughs> so he picks it up by the tail and it becomes a rod again in his hand. Wow. Stick your hand in your bosom. Pull it out again. How did it come out? Leprous as snow. Advanced stages of leprosy. Incurable. Even today, modern medical science can only arrest it, they can't cure it. Put it back in your bosom again. Take it out again. 100% whole. He did those miracles in the eyes of the elders, plural. They saw it. They witnessed it. Now let's continue. 
what happens next? Now, all this happens within about a one-year period of time. God rains the ten plagues on Egypt, forcing the Pharaoh to let my people go. They witnessed it from afar, from Goshen, yes, but they knew all that happened. And the last plague, that, the, the, finally the, the straw that broke the camel's back, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Passover angel, the death of the firstborn. But God provided, in all these instances, God provided protection for his people Israel. And in this instance, it was the slaying of the perfect yet innocent lamb, putting the, door, the blood on the doorpost and over the lentil. And every individual within that family, particularly the firstborn, that was under the blood in the household when the death angel came at midnight uh, was protected. They were spared. And I'm having a little trouble right here. So, uh, but now listen to this. The parents can give the order. They can instruct the children. But what if a firstborn child decided, ah, there's nothing to that, and wandered outside? They dropped dead. Children, your parents are trying to lead you in the right way to take Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and live your life according to God's Word. But the final decision of you is yours. God doesn't force Himself upon anyone. And you will suffer the consequences of wrong decisions. Don't be so foolish. Follow your Christian parents' leading. So finally, even all of the firstborn of, of Egypt, even the firstborn of the cattle died. All the way into Pharaoh's house, his own son, heir to the throne, died that night when the death angel came. That's when he gave the order, get out of here. God had told them when they eat the Passover of the lamb, they were to eat it fully clothed, sandals on their feet, staff in their hand. Why? He knew they would be ordered out in the middle of the night. And that's what happened, okay? So, They've witnessed all of this. They, they, they start their journey, and then Pharaoh changes his mind and sends his army after them, and he's with the army. They're hemmed in against the Red Sea. God puts the, uh, the pillar there. There's a pillar of darkness for Pharaoh's army, but a pillar of light for the Israelites. While Moses held up his rod, held it over the Red Sea, God parted the sea. It stood up as a heap, as a wall on either side. Now, it could have been several miles wide. We've got two to four million people and all of their herds. Remember, the Israelites were herdsmen, cattle and sheep and goats and donkeys and maybe even camels. Sent an east wind to dry up the land so they didn't go slushing through the mud. They walked across on dry land. When they get to the other side and Moses drops the, wa the water, uh, after here comes Pharaoh's army. When the cloud is pulled back, they see the light. And they go charging across the Red Sea. And God is, the Bible said it made their chariots drive hard and difficult. Even God was knocking wheels off of chariots to slow them down. He wanted the whole army. He wanted the whole army and Pharaoh in the Red Sea. When Moses dropped the rod and the waters came crashing in. They all witnessed this from the bank on the other side. What was the first thing that happened when they got to the other side? This group of people who've been in slavery for 430 years are now attacked by the Malachites. And you know the story. God tells, Moses calls Joshua at God's command to gather the armies together and go fight Amalek. 
and you hold your rod up, as long as your rod's in the air, here's where we'll win. <laughs> you drop your rod, the Amalekites are going are to prevail. So, man, he got tired. You ever, you ever tried holding your uh, uh, hand up for a prolonged period of time? Uh, let's put a rod in it, too. They had to, <laughs> Aaron and Horeb, and Horeb, her, rolled a big stone on him, set him down, and held up his hand with a rod. Hey, folks, you need to hold up your pastor's hand in prayer and in ministering with him. God never intends for this man to do all the ministry of the word in this church. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Not now, later. And verse 12 would tell you that God intends for every member to be a minister of the word. But it's up to the, the spiritual gifts of the church leadership to train you, to prepare you to do that. That's in there too, okay? All right, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 and following. Now, so uh, they, they win the victory over the Amalekites. Hey, it said it smote them with the edge of the sword, but do you think they were trained warriors? Hardly. they just come out of slavery. Yet God gave them victory. And, uh, and then they, 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 they run out of water. So God sends Moses to, to the rock, rock of Horebs, to strike the rock, a type of Christ who would, who would be stricken for our sins. And the living water gushed out. How much water? A, uh, a high-ranking army official who was in charge of um, getting the food, the water, the supplies to the troops in the field did calculation on this. It would have taken almost 150, I forget the exact number, almost 150 tanker cars of water per day for these two to four million people and their flocks. That water had to be constantly gushing like a river. 1 Corinthians 10 said, and that rock followed them. Did it levitate? <laughs> Did it scoot across the pan? Did it roll? I don't know. <laughs> they said that rock followed them. They had a constant water supply for 40 years. They witnessed that. They drank of it. And then there was the manna from heaven. Again, about the same number of boxcars per day to supply food for those people. And God supplied it with the, the manna from heaven. They witnessed this. They were partakers of this. All these miracles. Now we come to, to Sinai, okay? We're across, we're, we're maybe starting into the second year now, okay? But barely so. Barely so. And we get to Sinai and we find something that is just so incredible to me. Now, while we turn into Exodus chapter 19, let me ask you a question. Where was Moses when the Ten Commandments were first given? Who would venture an answer? Where was Moses when? Yes, sir. Mount Sinai. Sorry. Where was Moses when the Ten Commandments were first given? Now you're scared to answer, aren't you? Now, yes, sir. Egypt. Egypt? Nope. Okay, now listen. Now, now why did he and why did the rest of you think, well, he's right. He was up on Mount Sinai. I'm going to tell you why you think that. Carlton Heston and Yul Brenner. <laughs> the old Ten Commandments movies. Huh? Where do they show Moses? Up on the mountain. With, with, with God speaking to Moses and, and carving out the tablets of stone with the finger of God, that fiery finger, right now. That's, that's, that's why we think that. We're influenced by Hollywood. Hey, folks, Hollywood doesn't ever get it right. Huh? Now, now keep this in mind. Until the Geneva Bible also called the Great Bible, the forerunner of our King James Bible, 
there were no chapter divisions or verse divisions. It was, the book was just one continuous story. It may have had paragraph breaks or whatever. And so with the, with the, with the Geneva Bible, they begin to, for ready reference, begin to break it down into chapters and verses. And sometimes those chapter breaks took place in the, broke the continuity. It took place in the middle of the story. And that's what we have in this case. Now, during this stay at Sinai, Moses is up and down the mountain at least five times. Read through the story and count it and mark it. Each time you see Moses going up the mountain. There was only one person allowed to go with Moses up the mountain. Who was it? Trivia. It wasn't even Aaron, the high priest to be. Joshua. The one God was mentoring to be Moses' successor. Okay? All right. Now, let's get to 19. Moses had been up the mountain talking with God. God sends him back down the mountain. He's already told the people on his, on his last trip, you have the people to, to stand back. You put boundaries and don't let them come past that boundary. The priest can come a little closer, but you set the boundaries for them. Anybody crosses that line, they're going to be killed. So Moses is up the mountain, and God said, is talking to Moses, and, and he says, tells Moses again, Moses, go back down. Tell them to stay back behind the line. God, I've already told them, go tell them again. This is about the second or third trip, okay? Now, let's pick up here with about verse, we'll start with verse 24. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, okay? And thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee, but let not the priest and the people break through and come up to the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. Eric was limited, Aaron, as to how far could he come. And Moses went down unto the people, and spake unto them, and the Lord spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What did you see when you take out the chapter break? Moses is down the mountain when God speaks the Ten Commandments, audibly to all the people for the first time. What's the point? They hear God give the Ten Commandments with their very own ears. That's the point. It's not just Moses showing them a tablet. They're hearing God himself. Now, if you doubt that, five times in Deuteronomy, Moses reminds them, you heard it. What it now, Deuteronomy comes about 40 years later. Moses, Deuteronomy is referred to as the second giving of the law. As Moses rehearses all the laws of God, their civil laws, their domestic laws, their religious laws, one last time before God takes him to Nebo and takes him home. It's the second giving of the law about 40 years later. Now, write these verses down. I'm going to give you five verses where Moses tells them, you heard it with your own ears. Uh, we find it in Deuteronomy... Let's say I know chapter 4, if I can get my right references here. Don't have the. Mm -hmm. I believe it's uh, chapter 4, verse 12. It's chapter 5, verses 23 through 26. Oh, in chapter 4, it's also verse 23, or 33, 33. It's in Deuteronomy, chapter 9, verse 10. And Deuteronomy chapter 10, 
verse 4, five times. Now, we're going to read one of them. We're going to read one of them. Turn to, to Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 10, and we're going to see where Moses tells them one of these times. And the Lord delivered unto, the, unto thee, unto me, Moses is talking to the people, the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount out of the midst of the fire and the day of the assembly. Five times he says that. You heard it with your own ears. Now, what's so remarkable about that? Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. Moses is going back up the mountain again after they heard with their own ears the Ten Commandments. Now, this time, God has given him more than the Ten Commandments. This is where he spells out to him all the civil laws, domestic laws, all the laws of Judaism, the pattern for the tabernacle. He's up there 40 days and nights. Don't forget now <laughs> everything that they have just witnessed over the past year, all these miracles, and the last thing, hearing these Ten Commandments with their own words. Now, chapter Okay, chapter 32, verse 1, Exodus 32, 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, 40 days, the people gathered and said unto him, Aaron, up, make us gods, which go before us. That <laughs> As for this Moses, the man that brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what's become of him. Can you imagine that? After all they've witnessed, all these miracles from the mighty hand of God, and even hearing these Ten Commandments, the first two being, Thou shalt have no other God before me, and the second, don't make any graven image. They come to Aaron and say, Up, make us gods. That blows me away. Look at the tendency of people toward idolatry. That's the point. Don't think that the Asians are the only ones that are idolatrous. Wow. I have a hard time getting past that. And you know what? It's equally incredible. Aaron did it. Talk about failing a test of leadership. Oh, my goodness. That was his chance to stand strong on the Lord's side. But no, he listened to the people. Give me your earrings. <laughs> Hammered out this golden calf. <laughs> now, you remember what he told Moses when Moses came down? <laughs> And the people made me do it. I threw in all this gold in the fire and out walked this calf. <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> oh, well, all right, but they did it. Now, listen to this. Look at, look at uh, verse 6. We're still in Exodus chapter 32. And they rose up early in the morning and offered burnt sacrifices, this is to this golden calf, and peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and rose up to play. That's very discreet. When you read later on in the chapter, it, it turned into a dancing nude orgy, and that's all I'll say. Imagine the worst. 
That's when Moses is coming down the mountain with Joshua. I said, man, I hear the sound of war. They're reveling. They're dancing in front of this golden calf. And they're disdainful manner. No, it's not, the, it's not the noise of war, but the noise of singing and so on. Moses saw what was going on. He was so angry. So he threw those tablets down and broke them. Who is on the Lord's side? His own tribe, the Levites, stepped out. Every man take your sword. And they went through and killed 3,000 of them. No doubt that was how many were dancing nude around that golden calf. And who knows what else was going on. Wow. But Moses loved his people. God says, Moses, I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to make a, a, a great nation out of you. But Moses fell on his face in prayer and, and pled to God for his people, and God spared them. Listen, Brother Powell, Brother Sadir, Brother Kuhn, Brother Dinlina, love their people as idolatrous as they are. But he's praying for their salvation, their burden for their people. Let's jump forward to chapter 16 and Numbers. Numbers 16. We're jumping forward 20 years. <clears throat> and we find another incredible instance here. Numbers 16, verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kurath, and I'm having hard trouble reading this in the light here, the son of Levi, a direct descendant, of Levi, okay, he's of the priestly tribe, uh, and Og, the son of Phedith, the sons of Reuben, took men. There's, about, there's Dothan and, and Abram, I miss them. So these three outstanding men are leading an open rebellion against God's man, Moses. Now, look what it is. Oh, here. Now, here's the thing that's incredible about Korah. Each clan, each family of the Levites, Levi's sons, were given a special assignment up from Sinai as to what part of this portable tabernacle they were responsible for taking down, loading up, moving, and then re-erected when, when the clouds stopped and they, and they were to stop and set camp again. Korah's clan had the highest honor. They were the one privileged to carry the Ark of the Covenant on the poles of Shittimwood Overlaid with gold. The highest honor. But he wasn't satisfied with that. Kind of like Satan, Lucifer. The highest honor, the highest archangel. Yet his heart was lifted up in pride against God. Tried to overthrow heaven and God. <laughs> Ended up being defeated and thrown to the earth with eternal hell and lake of fire as his final destiny. Now, they're not the only three. Look how they influence others. Folks, negative influence, gossip and such, is terribly contagious and wicked. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. These could have been some of those very same elders that Moses showed the signs to 20 years earlier with the rod and the leprous hand. Only 20 years have gone by. And yet here they are in rebellion. Moses falls on his face if we continue to read. Why? He knows God is about to move in wrath against these people. And he's pleading for, for their case. 
But apparently while he's still on his face before God, God gives him instructions as what to do next. He gets up off of his face, off of his knees, and says, Korah and Dothan and Abraham, you and these 250 men meet us tomorrow in front of the tabernacle, every man with his censer in hand, with coals of fire and incense. Aaron will be there with his censer, fire and incense, and we will see who God has chosen to lead his people. I think Korah realized, "Uh uh-oh, I've gone too far. So he and Dothan and Abram said, we're not coming. But they sent the other 250. Plan B, next step. Again, God impressed upon Moses to make a request that's unheard of in history and, and even the life of God's people. It's unheard of in the Bible up to this point in time. If those three men and their families die of natural causes, then God has not sent me. But if God does something unusual, then God has sent me. And he gave what the unusual thing was. If God opens up the earth and swallows them and all their houses, all their households, wives and children. Hey, you ever hear somebody say, hey, what I do is my business is not hurting anybody but me. That's a lie from the devil. You are hurting those you love the most. You're hurting your own family, your own relatives, your own brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, wives, children. Don't swallow that lie. And God responded immediately, and the earth opened up. They, their tents, their wives, their children go down into the pit, the pit of hell, the flames of fire alive. And the earth closed up against them. Who ever heard of such a thing? But God did it. And next follows that, fire falls from heaven and makes crispy critters out of those 250 men, leaving only Aaron standing and Moses, the ones God had before called and appointed. Do you think the children of Israel would have learned a lesson? No. Same chapter. Same chapter. Drop down a few verses. Verse 41. But on the morrow, the very next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel that murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, ye have killed the people of the Lord. The very next day, they're murmuring against Moses in rebellion again. Moses again falls on his face. He loves his people. He doesn't want to see them destroyed. They fall in in, in prayer. Then he says to Aaron, jump to verse verse, uh, 46, and Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer and put fire thereon from off the altar and put on incense and go quickly into the congregation and make an atonement for them. For there's wrath going out from, from the Lord. The plague is begun. People are dropping like flies. How many? Look at verse 50. And Aaron returned unto Moses and, and, uh, and the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, I'm sorry, go up to verse 49. Now they that died in the plague were 14,700 besides them that died about the matter of Korah. Wow, nearly 15,000 people now 
Moses tells Aaron, get a censer, put on fire, put on incense, and run, hasten. Now, what did that symbolize? The fire symbolizes the torture Jesus suffered for you and I from midnight when he was arrested, taken to the kangaroo courts, and brutally mistreated by the temple guard, perhaps even Roman soldiers, the rest of the night. The next day when he had the kangaroo court in front of Pilate and Herod and back to Pilate, and finally Pilate gave in to the crowd and had him scourged, that Roman cat of nine tails. Many people didn't survive that. Many people, it, it tore open their insides and their bowels gushed out and they died on the spot. Jesus endured that. Carrying the cross as far as he could. Simon of Cyrene being compelled. You're an honor. God chose a black man to carry Jesus' cross to Calvary for him. Did you know that? Wow. Wow. He's one of the first missionaries, too. Long story. There they nailed him to the cross. Imagine the pain. But as a lamb led before his shearers is dumb, so open even out his mouth. It normally took three, three days for a man to die on the cross. But Jesus says, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down for the street, for the, for the sheep. He died after only about three hours, six at the most, maybe from the ninth hour to the sixth hour, six hours. And one day he died. Why? He gave up his life. No one took it from him. And by his own power, he took it up again. Now, and the incense would represent the fact that God was pleased with the atonement. In Isaiah 56, verses 1 through 10, in prophecy, Isaiah describes the torture that Jesus goes through. And listen how God responds to that. This is in prophecy in verse 11. Okay, folks, we're almost done. Isaiah 53, 50, yeah, 53, I'm sorry, and verse 11. He, God, shall see of the travail of his soul. Jesus going through this torture, an act of crucifixion. And shall be satisfied. God was satisfied with the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross for my sins and for your sins. Folks, if you're here today and you haven't received Christ as Savior, an atonement for your soul has already been made, and God is satisfied with it. But you must accept it as your very own. If you reject it, you suffer your own consequences. You seal your own eternal doom. God loves you. This church loves you. Uh, this pastor and his, and his staff, his deacons, they love you, and they want you to see you come to the Savior. But now listen. Listen to the final act of Aaron uh, as, as he has this censor. And the, the men, the people, are dropping like flies. And verse 16, verse 17, and Aaron, 47, 16, 47, and, and Aaron took as Moses' commandment and ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague was begun from among the people. And he put on incense and made an atonement for the soul of the people. And he stood between the dead 
and the living, and the plague was stayed. Was stayed. He ran between the living and the dead with a censer for the atonement of their souls. <laughs> Folks, me and Brother Paul and the 137 men we're supporting already in these four countries are running with atonement for the people's soul, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, his, his resurrection for the dead to complete our eternal salvation. We're running with this gospel of atonement of eternal salvation. Why? We love those people. He loves those people. But we need the help of God's people. Salvation is free. The message is free. But it costs to deliver the message. One of our strongest theme verses for Faith International Partners is Romans 10, 15. And how shall they preach except they be sent? No airline has ever given me a free ticket. No hotel has ever given me a free night stay. No restaurant has ever given me a free meal. No gas station has ever given me a free tank of gas. It costs to deliver the message. Everyone can have a part in that. He calls some of us to go. He calls the rest to give so we can go. In many cases, I get to do both. Don't mean to be selfish, but <laughs> we want you to have, and you do have us. You supported us for 15 years probably, and uh, wow, we appreciate it so very much. We're giving you the opportunity today to help two of these men to go even farther to their men. As the instrumentalists come, pastor, whatever form of invitation you choose to give today, God may lay on your heart to come and pray what you would do more this coming year for mission than you've ever done in your life to help us run between the living and the dead with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the atonement for the souls of the lost. If you don't know Christ as Savior today, we urge you to come and accept this Jesus, this atonement that's already been made for your souls for forgiveness and eternal life in heaven. Shall we stand?